Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. Here we discuss ideas, experiences, and share stories about L&D-specific topics. I'm Shannon Tipton, owner of Learning Rebels, where we strategically fix training that's broken and develop workplace learning that delivers desired business results. Today, the cool kids are sharing their thoughts and ideas about harvesting organizational knowledge and stories. We are seeing more people retire or change positions faster than in any other previous year. And this is due to a variety of reasons. But one main reason is a lack of connection to the organization. If people don't feel as though they are part of the organizational beating heart, then why hang out? And they don't. So the key to helping people connect is through the sharing of knowledge and stories. And while we're talking about the criticality of harvesting knowledge, let's not forget about the importance of harvesting passion. Team members want to know about the passion that drives leaders and their own teammates. Now, employees don't need to share the same passions for a company's story in order to resonate with it. People respond to passion, and passion is the heartbeat of any organization. Every company is held up by people seeking to do something good, and they have a relevant story to tell. The key is to find it or risk losing the knowledge forever. So the big question on the table today is, how can we better find, share, and store organizational knowledge and stories that are at risk of leaving the business every day? So without further ado, let's get to it. Thank you again, everyone, for showing up today. Really appreciate it. It's a glorious Friday outside. And today we are talking about harvesting the knowledge and stories of your organization. How can we go about doing a better job? How do we do a better job of storing them, of sharing them? Because let's face it, today businesses are connected through the stories that tie them together. And Part of the reason that people leave an organization is a lack of connectedness. You know, there's a lot of other things obviously at play. You talk about culture or you talk about no work-life balance or being underpaid or what have you. There are a lot of mitigating factors there that make a person want to leave. But if a person felt connected to their organization, a person is going to think twice before they leave because they have a built-in community of sorts. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that it does become a competitive differentiator when your organization has a grasp on the knowledge that sits within it. You know, where if somebody should happen to leave, then they have that person's knowledge. They're able to still carry forward. There's a business 
that I do business with, that I work with. And if one person, one more person left that organization, that organization would fall apart. And that's not the way it should be. So my friends, my rebel friends, I'm going to turn this over to you. And I would love to hear, first off, you know, what are, I always hesitate to use the term best practices because what works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me, you know, but I'll just say, what are the practices that work for you and work for your organization? So who's going to kick this off and share their experiences in regards to harvesting organizational intelligence or getting your people to share their uh, knowledge stories or even cultural stories? My first experience, you know, um, in terms of getting organizational knowledge out of individuals was in a call center. And what I found was really effective was just taking them out for lunch before you start okay. the conversation, right? For me, one of the big challenges when you interact with individuals uh, and you're trying to get, you know, the, the gold from them is, is a feeling of trust or that you're actually there to help them. One of the things that I've dealt with a lot, um, particularly, as I mentioned, I've worked in call centers, is, is this feeling that this individual, by giving you that information, they are going to devalue their own worth inside of the organization, right? And, and a very big part of that is showing that they are valued and, and buying them lunch is a good way to start. Right? I agree. And furthermore, it's it's really about saying that you're going to make their life easier with the products that you're giving them, um, that you're not there to to just mine them and be a replacement. Well, I love that approach because what you're doing, and this was made mention of in the uh, Learning Rebels community space, is that first we have to set the stage, you know, for a little bit of psychological safety there. We have to build our own personal connections before we just start jumping in in people's lives and say, hey, what is it that you know, right? So what was the reaction, Nathan? So as you're trying to gather these stories up, was there a like a knock-on effect or or a snowball, you know, effect that went with this? Well, yeah, absolutely, right? So, you know, if you're in a consultant role or if you're in a salary role, your reputation is is really important, right? And so if you establish an open communication and and an environment where employees feel valued especially by you, then that that has an immensely powerful effect as you go on uh, in the relationship. I think you said something really important there that they feel valued by you. Because that's when that's when baby step to them feeling valued by their organization because you represent the organization, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I'd just like to point out that Nathan, although I appreciate that in some instances, that could almost be considered a bribe. But I love it. I'm too nice to be worried about ethical considerations. That's uh... <laughs> Roger. Roger that. No, but I think it. On pain points, you hit them where it hurts. So find out what the the entry point is, right? And relationships do that. And I like the I like the taking them out to lunch kind of thing or share, right? It is about building that that safe space with the individual to get them to share that knowledge or tell that story. We generally don't have a problem with our our guys willing to just you know they're saying loose lips sink ships. 
that were the case, we'd have no vessels because our guys can talk. It's fine tuning it and then recording it or finding the right place to house that. So we do a fairly good job of anytime we're rolling out a new procedure, a new policy, a new way of doing things. Yeah, once we get it all written out, is bringing it to the to the craft level, to the field level, to the guys that this is truly going to affect a lot more than anybody else and say, okay, here's where we're at. Tell us where we're missing the point, right? What are we missing? Or what are we saying that you're actually don't do? What are, what are you actually do so that we can find that, that happy medium? What you're saying there is really important. And I'm making a note of this. Part of gathering knowledge is the documentation of that knowledge. And I'll throw myself out there. Some of you may or may not be aware, my virtual assistant, Amanda, went on vacation last week. Boy, there was a lot that I didn't have written down. It took Anne and myself to complete a task that Amanda usually does by herself. And it's like, oh my God, I thought we had good documentation. I really did. Because we have little videos and everything else, but there were some gaps there that I really didn't realize until you have a key person, you know, who dares to take a vacation. And I think what you're saying there, Douglas, is really important. It's that process of documenting not only the process or even anything else around a procedure, but then there's the real life documentation, right? So these are the steps, step one, two, three, four, five, but there's always something in between there that you might be missing. And what what is the real life story behind that process? I spent 25 years in a school district in school communications. And the guilt of taking a day off or taking your vacation weighs on you heavily when you're the only person who does your job. So I reframed it in terms of teachers create sub plans, right? Creating substitute plans for yourself. So in your absence, someone else can do your job. Yes, there is that threat threshold you'll have is, or are they going to take my job? But they need to know how to do it. If you get in an accident, if you are gone for a period of time. So I made a list of every program, a piece of software that I used on a day-to-day basis with the login information, the main reason we used that platform, what it was used for, and then went the next step saying, here are people you can contact in other districts who use the same stuff and will be able to support you if you run into a pinch. So it's a matter of your network, even outside your organization, who do you know that can support you in a crisis that you would be able to reach out to? It's a matter of creating detailed notes and then putting it in practice, saying, okay, let's all trade, kind of have a boxing day like they do in Canada. Everybody trade jobs for the day. See if you can do what that plan says and act it out. Uh, We did that with our business office, a number of different ones, because the redundancy is important, even in every department, to be able to understand what everyone does, not as a threat, but to the success of the organization. Mm -hmm. I like that. And my follow-up question to that is, how can we then build those sorts of techniques into organizational practice? Because that's all part of harvesting, gathering, organizational knowledge. And while it may be habit for you and it may be habit, you know, for Nathan, how can we help build that into our organizational structure? 
for us, I, and I can say my office was right outside the business office. They really struggled with that and didn't have that. You know, you had somebody doing accounts receivable, somebody accounts payable, someone was facility reservation, but it was very siloed. And so it was just a matter of leadership saying, look, we're going to take time. You're going to block off this much time in your schedule to work on your processes and then just have like a weekly or biweekly meeting saying, hey, how's the progress going? And just kind of checkpoints along the way for everyone and deadlines to get it done, saying it, it, it becomes an expectation, saying we value you as an employee and we know you earn these days off or you earn sick days. We don't want you coming to work when you're sick. All of those things, we framed it in that mentality saying, we value you and the time that you've earned. So putting these processes together will help you in the long run because you feel like you can leave and take those days. That's what worked and was successful for us. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a baby steps to help people. It's actually building a culture, isn't it? And I like Stella's comment there in the chat, Stella, if you want to expand on that, you know, about making the subject matter experts, you know, the heroes of the story, right? The, the problem is always the SMEs don't have time. Everyone has no time. So then I have to try and um, charm them and tell them, well, listen, uh, you can talk in the video. I put your photo and, uh, you know, all our distributors, the whole sales force, they will recognize you as the expert. And then some SMEs, they still say, I don't have time. You do it. But I can't do all the videos. I mean, who wants to listen to a middle-aged woman in 100 videos? So then I really use a lie. I tell them, listen, the board of directors, they are watching all the videos and they really think uh, they are doing a great job and they accomplish it. So I'm lying, but I have the big intent, you know, because, because we were talking the other day, we were talking about coaching and mentoring. So uh, in three weeks, there's the summer party. And then I will go and ask uh, one of the directors to coach me or, or to mentor me, you know, so, and I, I think they, they, they will help me because it's, it's important for small, uh, we, we are only a medium sized organization. So it's very important to communicate. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I love that approach, you know, and I think it's all in how we build the framework around it. You know, how we approach people, how we talk to people, how we, like Douglas said, how do we address their pain points? And, and Nathan, you know, Nathan's like, yeah, I'm going to buy their love, man. I'm <laughs> I prepare everything for them. I do the slides with lots of visuals. I make a, a script and then I tell them, you can change anything. You know, I don't mind. It's your expertise, but don't make it any longer. You know, you can talk about anything, but not longer than six minutes. You know, shorter is okay, but not longer. Change. And some, they change a lot. And others, oh, it's fine. I just do it, you know. So people are so different, but I always leave them the option to, to modify. And I think that that's, a, that's another great technique that we can use to get subject matter experts to open up. And I one of the comments in the chat was also around uh, job security to a certain degree. You know, if, if we convince people to share their secret sauce, then, you know, are they going to go, well, I'm not competitive within my organization any longer? 
that's a barrier that we need to address when it comes to, you know, again, harvesting the knowledge of our organization so that the organization and the people within it can, can continue to be successful. So what are your thoughts around those barriers, Connie? I think it's based on experience. At least it is in my case. I have experienced where the company valued me less because I, even though I had the knowledge, I had shared the knowledge. Now, I believe in sharing knowledge all the time, as much as I can. And I feel that if someone steals my knowledge, per se, and takes credit for or or just uses it to their advantage or nice me in the back, shame on them. I'm still going to share knowledge because I think knowledge is very important. But I think companies' approach to that is also very important. Not every organization makes sure that that knowledge is valued and that if it's shared, they they want everyone to share it. Like sometimes in my organization, someone new will come in and they won't even take them through any of that. And it's like, okay, well, we already set it up and it's okay to change and offer new ways, but not until you know what we did and why we did it. Then you can make good changes. But if you just come in and say, well, I think we should do it this way, and you do not have the background of the 12 years that I do and why we're doing it the way we do it, then you're disrespecting the fact that of the the history and the background and why people are doing what they're doing. That doesn't mean you don't want change. I mean, we do want change and new ideas but only if it's based on solid information and knowledge of the organization. So I, I've been burned multiple times with sharing knowledge. But again, I, I believe in sharing knowledge no matter what. But it really makes people wary of organizations and of other people coming in. I get it. And I'm sure we've all have been in that position before. I think every, all of us have, where all of a sudden, and especially the ladies in the room, you know, where we share information, we share knowledge, and then it gets picked up by somebody else. And suddenly that idea gets wiped away as being yours, you know, so that, that happens. And I think this is why the documentation of the knowledge is important, you know, where we have a process to gather those stories and a process to gather that intellectual bit. You know, so that way it can go on record to say this whole process was Connie's and this is what we do. But I think you said uh, you also said something else that I would like to talk about, which is we take the stories, we take the knowledge, but then we don't do anything with it. Well, that's just our protecting our end of the secret knowledge deal, right? Is it? Is it? <laughs> okay, talk to me, Nathan. So there are moments where you have a conversation with an SME and they give you some knowledge that is that I would describe as almost like secret sauce, right? Like that, that frankly, even you can't communicate it to the learning audience if you wanted to, right? Uh, and so I was just going to say, you know, when you leave that off the presentation, that's you're kind of just filling in your end of the bargain that, that I was kind of talking <laughs> about earlier. So that's that's my only point. And so now, I think what you bring in up, Nathan, was just a, another, even though tongue-in-cheek, still a good point. Because other people, your salespeople, are protecting their jobs by hoarding. And sometimes we protect our jobs also by hoarding. What's, what's the example that we're trying to set? So Erica, I see your hand. 
to the point that you were making, Shannon, about like if we're going to go through any process of doing the collection of the stories or the knowledge and then making sure that they just maybe don't sit idle in a repository, you know, are you able to anchor it to an initiative that's going on at the organization or are you able to anchor it to maybe one of your high level, a high level cheerleader who mm. wants to assure like, oh, this is a really great idea. This is awesome work. And an example and what what I'm noodling off of is I'm on a project right now that actually was instigated by a, a higher level VP to, to help create a more standardized way to train what is called a tier one associate within a small, tiny call center. And what we've come to understand by doing a lot of seeking to understand, we've had a lot of seeking to understand, and they are actually very excited about this process. They're very happy that they're getting the support of uh, like a learning and development organization. And now we're at the place that we're trying to get whatever that content in current state that isn't recorded somewhere, but they know that they're training off of, meaning they're aware that they're training off of things that are very much the folklore knowledge, and but it's not recorded. We aren't being pressured to do this in like a month because this is going to be a years long process. The ability of us now that we're going to try and get legacy information out of their brains, we are going to record those meetings or if it's a mock training, however we can get that information out of them. So it's, it behooves us to then translate, transmit, and then elevate their training by getting it all then into a standardized format so that we do have a learning journey and we've got all of those things that may be inside of their head. And they're like, oh, I'm thinking about it now. So I'm going to train this person on it, but I forgot about it and I don't train the next person. So I think that helps us to feel like we've got fire in our bellies of like making sure, oh, we're going to do good capturing of this information. And then we really want to make sure that we're going to be able to say this can get turned into this sort of artifact, whether it's e-learning or if it's a more streamlined ILT, et cetera, et cetera. I know that we always we don't always have maybe that sense of like is somebody rooting for us, but are there ways that we can think about it that anchors it to something so that we're feeling that motivated motivation and generation of making sure that we don't collect it all and then just not do anything with it? Right. And subsequently, that's the issue at hand. Right. And Robin, I saw your comment in there about what you're trying to figure out is how the leaders of our organization can use stories and experiences to keep people engaged, informed, and involved. And I think this is what this is all about. This is exactly what this conversation is about. It's about harvesting that knowledge and those stories and those experiences. So I'm curious if you're if you're willing to or can talk about this initiative and what you're discovering so far, I think would be really handy. What we're trying to do is actually make people feel comfortable actually telling stories. The people at the top, they're fantastic at it. You know, they're, they're TED Talk material and, and all of that stuff. But for your frontline managers, they don't even realize that they do it when they do it. So doing it purposefully becomes a challenge. They have an emotional block. And I, I'm the same way, frankly. I know I tell a bad story. So we're having a mid-year meeting 
next month. And one thing I'm really trying to do is give people tricks or structure that can help them feel comfortable putting together their experiences in a format that is story-like and then, you know, make it their own. I think people recognize the value because we all have been on the other end of a story that really motivated us or helped us understand why this change is important or gets, you know, gets us anxious to jump on a new initiative. But it's hard for us to see how we can use that on a day-to-day basis when I just want my folks to feel like they are valued or whatever the situation is and using stories to help explain the why. Yes. And one of the things that I appreciate what you're saying is the effort that it takes to find these stories and to build the stories and to structure and to host and, you know, where are they going to live is a new realm within our positions. As L&D professionals, our jobs are just massively changing. And I think this is one of the areas that we need to pay more attention to. And it's beyond gathering documentation. It is getting to the heart, a heartbeat of your organization. And I think we all have a superpower for that because our ability to connect with people is what makes us good at what we do. So then what does that look like? How do we go about it? And so for you, the struggle is real. But I also think that it's a struggle that most of us are either going to or have experienced. We need to do this better. And to Erica's point, I think this is a, uh, you don't want to have a seven hour process to, no, to right. deliver a two minute story or a 30 second story, because that becomes very rightfully daunting and mm-hmm. not valuable. <laughs> right. And nobody then wants to participate. And then you have challenges that are completely different. Anyone else want to build on what Robin is talking about here? Well, I did make a comment just about the uh, the cultural differences with a global audience that I've mm-hmm. experienced. And I have found that when it comes to storytelling, for example, uh, my Pakistani and Japanese colleagues are not comfortable telling a story that makes anybody look bad, right, on any level, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly their leadership. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. So it can be very, very difficult to get them to describe and diagnose the problems that they're experiencing. And so I just wanted to talk. I actually I feel like storytelling is very, very vital to what we do. I do also think we tend to talk about it academically and like lean into this, like almost like script writer approach to yes. it. And that, that does seem like overcomplicating it. Right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that, those are my thoughts. Thanks for the opportunity to share. And thank you. And you're absolutely right. It's not shocking at all that a group of L&D professionals will overthink a process. That is, that's also part of our DNA, you know, we're, <laughs> Things like storytelling where cavemen got, you know, they all sat around the fire and drew pictures on the wall. That was not difficult. That was part of what their culture was. And that's how we how they communicated to the next family that moved into that cave. That's the process. It's very simple. And how can we do better at, you know, replicating that particular process? And I think I, one of the things that I actually wrote down here 
when Robin was speaking was sometimes we do need a guide, not like a written guidebook or, or documentation, but maybe someone who's really good at pulling a story out of someone, you know? So it's that, for lack of better terms, it's that story guide person. It's that person, the interviewer, it's the Jimmy Kimmel. It's, it's the person who is there and ready to listen and listen deeply and intently with heart to get to the bottom of what is happening. And that person may not even sit on your team. It may not even be you, but it may be someone within the organization that you know, you know, who can help you with that. Right. And then I also appreciated what Erica said, and I'm paraphrasing here, Erica, um, when gathering the stories, being inclusive of all levels of the organization. Because you have people who are, you know, your boots on the ground people who feel as though their stories don't have value. And if you can get those stories for them, show that they have value, help them understand that their stories have value rather, then that kind of snowballs into other areas of the organization, you know, where people then want to tell you their stories because you've started this sort of an initiative. Now, let's talk about how. Gathering the story is one thing. How we're storing it and what we're doing with it is another. And so it's that second bit now. So Robin has her stories. Well, I'm just going to use you, Robin, because I can see you. <laughs> Robin has, is gathering her stories. But are there different techniques that we can use? For example, a form such as maybe this. You know, So if you had a a half hour, 15, 20 minute type of coffee chat with a group of salespeople and you just threw them a question, kind of like what we do here. Here's the topic today. Talk to me about this topic. And you recorded it, right? Who knows what's going to pop out of that? You might have some really great stories from which to follow up on. And also, this also goes for the intellect of the organization also, because somebody may have a story of what connected them to sales in the first place. Awesome. That builds connection. That's part of the heartbeat. But also, you may end up with something that is, oh, that's a really good, I didn't know that process was happening on the back end, you know, and that's really good information. And we want to share that. So, Erica. When we're developing learning, you know, I've, I've learned to come to appreciate the idea that ask your SMEs about, well, what are the, the main pain points? Where are the points of failure when somebody is attempting to do this? And by starting off the conversation in that way, I think two things then naturally happen. They're expressing their expertise to us. They're sharing because a lot of people usually are very willing to tell you why things went wrong. <laughs> And so obviously with us wanting to affect behavior change and move the needle from current state to future state, that's also the, the great way to posit that question. But then from that can also bloom like, oh, and then I'd like to ask this additional thing or that additional thing, or maybe they say, look, and then because this happens and this is a pain point, this is the reason why we need this or why I'm feeling like this isn't happening the way it should. And then that hopefully if we're being non-judgmentally curious and being open to riffing with them. It's like, okay, so tell me more about that. So I think maybe even us starting off with asking like where things aren't working, where there are those gaps, where are their usual points of failure is a great way for people to then just want to talk 
And then I think that gives us a great repository because we get a lot more from them than maybe we initially thought. And then there might be different ways and different places that that information can be utilized, even though our initial ask was maybe for this particular project. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. And I love that approach. Um, Maureen? Yeah, so I was just, I was looking at Robin's comment about interviews are a good way to, a good vehicle for telling a story. And it just reminded me of something like, if you set it up like a podcast or like a radio interview, and you let the person know ahead of time what the questions are, if they're not going to see the visual, some people are more comfortable having that. They just don't want to be on camera. That's one way to kind of get some of that knowledge drawn out and those stories. And then the other is we have at our organization, it's the leaders, can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like a 30 seconds or 60 seconds. It's a relatively brief, but there's just like a topic that then they talk about and they, they're right. like, they share something that's there and it just helps to, again, to share that information or knowledge across the organization. Um, and that's just part of our culture, which is shifting to be much more open and collaborative than it was in the past. So when we are speaking with people, don't overlook the opportunity to recognize and reward them for sharing that because that may encourage others to be more open in sharing and not hold it so close to the vest. You know, it helps you feel valued that there's, you know, somebody wants to hear from you. Well, see, and I love the idea and it kind of ties in nicely with what Erica was saying, you know, about the discovery process. And I love the pod, you know me, I'll, I'll take a podcast as a solution any day of the week, you know, because it fits in so many places and it fits here. So if you created a podcast series and I'll just go with your example there, Maureen. So if the podcast series was quote unquote, 60 seconds of, or six minutes, six minutes about XYZ, you know, six minutes about sales, six minutes about customer service, six minutes about our CEO, six minutes about, right? And if you follow that sort of path, then people will listen, people will pay attention. And then those stories just by default become part of the organization. And then you can create, you know, other branching type of, you know, audio you know, to go along with it. But I think that that's a great way of gathering, you know, organizational knowledge and organizational stories. Yeah. And what's interesting too, is they used to be the ones with the leaders, like the, the armchair conversations or whatever, used to be a longer video, audio, whatever. And that people at first liked it when it was all new and shiny, but they pivoted and modified what it was because people were like, yeah, we don't have time for that anymore. So now it's just much more brief. So it's much more palatable because it's bite-sized to take it in. And then that also can spur the conversation where other people then contribute, you know, some of their lessons as well. Right. And you can also um, do different branches of it, right? So you could have a full conversation like this and it's an hour. And then you can say, for those people who really want the in-depth, here's an hour. For those of you who, you know, are on your 30-minute lunch break, here's 30 minutes. For those of you who just want the bite size while you're on the treadmill, here's 10, you know. And then you can take from that longer piece and just take key points and put that together. And it all becomes, you know, a reusable, go a term from the 80s, right, that reusable learning object, you know, where you can 
you recycle, recycle, recycle. Any other ideas? So to me, it almost feels like I would like a template of how to, how do I know that it's information that is important that needs to be shared or that is good to share versus something that really doesn't matter because it was someone did it for X amount of years and that's just the way they did it with no changes kind of thing. You know, just I'm someone who loves to have a list or a template or something to go by because I feel like I'm not that creative on my own. I don't have come up with these great ideas, but I sure can sure can use other people's ideas and go forward using them. And to me, it feels like there's almost some standards in there that could be developed to say this is the kind of information that's really important to keep. And then even in those bite-sized things or bite-sized videos or podcasts, you could hit on those key points. Just figuring that out, what are the key things for you to know? And I can probably come up with some of the key points, but I think about that and that I don't always focus on the key points because I'm very detailed. I give way too much detail. I give the hour when people would like just a bite. Just give me the 10 minutes, Connie. Give me the 10 minutes. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm looking at Melissa's comment and your your comment, Connie, ties directly in with what Melissa wrote here. And I really love this. I wrote this down myself. And this is almost a podcast in the making. Traditions, Trash, and Try. That, that's a podcast title just waiting to happen, you know, for your organization. But I love that this you have this idea or or method rather of categorization right so we have this this information is this something that and i'm paraphrasing here and melissa you can expand on it is you know is is this a tradition that it's part of the organizational heartbeat this is a tradition that's within the heartbeat right and then you've got something that may work it's trashable so it may work for you but not necessarily work for me you know so do with it what you will and then the try it i love the try it so the try it is the um early adopter the pilot the experiment just give it a shot see what happens right did i get that right yes i ultimately and maybe it's because i was in the position so long i wanted the person coming in to be successful too because ultimately me leaving, I retired, you know, it probably depends on the reason someone leaves, but I want them to be successful and I want the organization to be successful, you know, because ultimately what they were doing, what was, I wanted them to have that experience, but I didn't want them to think that trashing, it's like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I don't work there anymore. So if something's not working for you, get rid of it. (laughs) That I didn't want them to feel like they had to hang on to it because I did it. But there were certain things, those tradition things, I knew that it would be it would be royally bad for them if I was like, don't not do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and I love that. And that part of categorization there, Connie, can help you determine what is the information that should sit for the greater good, you know, and then you can even, you know, try to label it or, or what have you, you know. So, Jason, I see your hand. Yeah, and that's Melissa's point is exactly kind of where I've been leading is what are those questions you want to ask your leaders or your subject matter experts? And so here's here's a tradition that we have to stick to. Here's something that we can don't really need. We can trash it or something that we need to try. And having a set of three, five, however many questions you want to ask of every person you interview is what's going to make a really good podcast, a really good interview, whatever, whatever you want to call it and however you want to turn it into. And I, 
love the fact you use the word you know, reusable because that's where my my mind goes all the time is can I take these two minutes and put it into an e-learning to explain something else down the road? Mm-hmm. Can I take this, this as a part of a communication plan? Can I drop that out into teams to tease something else down the line? Exactly. But having that framework of like, if I'm going to interview somebody, I'm going to always ask them these three or five questions. And I learned that from a, a podcaster. Well, that's a great idea. Year. And everybody gets those same questions and just where the story goes, where the conversation goes from there. But you always ask those three or five questions of each person as part of that conversation starter. And then I don't remember who said it earlier, but give it to them in advance. And then when you go in, just be prepared to focus on those items. And then you've got your content. Right. And I love that. I love the idea having them be prepared. So if you do, let's let's continue on the podcast idea, right? So before they jump into your podcast, you can tell them, I'm going to ask you this, this, and this. And then the conversation is going to go in the direction that it might naturally flow afterwards. So I think, yeah, you're setting them up for success when you do that. But it also gives the story a theme, you know, so all of the story, you can link now all of the stories together. So I, I like that. You have a theme, but you have a possible title. You've got a brand. And then however you decide to push it out, people start to anticipate it. They know like once a month, they're going to hear this thing and they're going to get these ideas. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Excellent. And we are almost at the top of the hour. So are there any, I know this time just flies. Are there any other um, ideas that you all have about sharing, gathering information, knowledge, stories? Maybe just think about how you're going to tag that content at the end of it and be consistent about the tags that you use. And then that also helps build up. That's a nice tip. I got all kinds of files labeled in all sorts of different ways. And that can be a mess, especially, you know, if you've been collecting stuff for as long as I have. Now you have no set method of finding. Good tip. All righty. And a last piece of big news here. All of our Learn Something News, as well as the um, information that's being shared in the community, are now eligible for APTD and CPTD certification points. So we are very excited by that. So if you have your ATD certification, ATD, um, your Association for Talent Development certification, any of our courses now, you can get points for recertification. So there's another um, incentive to you know participate in the Learn Something New events as well as to join the community because we do have um, learning themes each month that you can get credit for. So super excited by that. Yay! All right. Keep your eyes out. And then also for looking for these resources, uh, just a reminder, the process has changed. I used to email the resources to you. Now they sit on the website. So you just go down into learningrebels.com, find the coffee chat resources, and they will be up and loaded within the next 24 to 48 hours. So I hope to see you at the next uh, coffee chat here in two weeks and our Learn Something New next month. I hope you guys have a fabulous weekend. And thank you for all of the ideas today. Y'all are wonderful as usual. So anything fun happening this weekend? I'm getting together with a documentary filmmaker on some uh, LGBT rights in Central Florida. Um, So that's my big plan for this weekend and everything. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, 
thank you everyone for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. I love how passionate we are about collecting knowledge and stories. And I wasn't kidding when I said that the skill of curation, the ability to gather, disseminate, and share stories and knowledge is a key skill area for L&D. Our jobs are changing at a speed we've never seen before, and being a strong curator will enhance your business partner connections. But the struggle is real. How can we gather stories when people want to hoard information? People hoard knowledge when they feel threatened that sharing will jeopardize their standing in the business. People will hoard when they feel less than. The big tip was to be sure we are first connecting. Remember, seek first to understand. People need to feel as though they are being valued by us, the story collectors. This means once we make the connection, we must be able to act on it. How are we sharing the stories and knowledge? Through storytelling programs? Internal podcast stories? Then ask ourselves, how are the stories anchored? Are they connected to the organizational mission? Are they connected to a project or a particular team? Now, I'm still stuck on the idea of traditions, trash, and try. I think that would make a great internal podcast title for someone out there. But with that in mind, there's a lot to consider. How can we recognize and reward those who do contribute? How can we not overcomplicate the story gathering process? L&D is good at one thing, and that one thing is overcomplication. So we need to not do that. So when we're thinking about the concept of traditions, trash and try, then it's about documenting the findings. This is an important step. And just as everything, building a plan to gather, review and share. Now there's nothing worse than making a big deal of curating stories and knowledge and then not doing anything with them. Don't be that person. Well, want to join us live? And you know you do. Go on over to learningrebels.com, check out the events page, and sign on up. And don't forget to check out the Learning Rebels community, where you can have an opportunity to build your knowledge and connect with other cool L&D professionals. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. 